how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to episode 374, where I speak with the actor Thomas Jane. You've probably seen him in The Punisher, Boogie Nights, The Mist, The Thin Red Line, Deep Blue Sea, The Show Hung, the list goes on and on. Uh, we talk about two of his more recent movies, Dig and Slayers, which he did with director Kay Asher Levin, who actually talked to in episode 368 of the show. So we're going to a little more details about their relationship, how they work together. We also talked about his early career, training with the bald bill actor named Ralph Tobakin, who was a friend of Barry Levinson, why you can't have a plan B as a young actor, why he loves making genre after all these years, co-writing his comic book Bad Planet, and the problem with cancel culture taking over the independent voice. If you like this episode, please subscribe. You can also look for video clips of our conversation together on the YouTube series. Uh, there should be a link below. It's also called Creative Principles. Wow, you know, I spent a lot of time uh, building sets in high school. I uh, played a lot of football, and and then I got in with the art crowd in high school. Uh, we're talking ninth grade, because I left high school after the 10th grade. But those were really formative years because all my buddies were creative, always paint, we're always painting somebody's bedroom wall or putting a mural on something. And, you know, we were that, those kind of kids. We were just always getting our hands dirty and we liked building shit. And so we all got onto the construction crew for the high school play because we got to paint and build and sets and all that fun stuff. I had a really good drama teacher uh, named Brodsky. And um, Brodsky, he, uh, I was always cutting up and being a goofball and, and I was gotten into trouble, you know, I was a troubled kid and I was always getting into trouble and uh, stuff like that and fist fights and stuff like that. And, and Brodsky goes, you know, why don't you audition for this play that you're building the set for? I was like, ah, you know, I was but he convinced me and I did, and he gave me a part in a in a, in the um, high school play and me and my buddies were on the carpentry team. We had a whole plan that we were going to rig the set to collapse in the middle of the show. Thought it was really funny because uh, we were going to we were just going to take the house down. You know, shit was just going to start falling and paint would spill out of the rafters and stuff like that. You know, kind of inspired by that movie Carrie. Yeah. And um, as I got into auditioning i mean auditioning as i got into rehearsals i started like hey this is like really cool <laughs> and so i told my buddies right before we put the play on i said listen you know that thing where we're going to take the set down and spill paint all over everybody we're not doing it <laughs> we're going to do the play and we did and it was a vaudeville um medley you know it was we we did a vaudeville night where we had all kinds of different skits and all different and my skit was uh niagara falls it's a classic skit where you know it was the the, the line in that in that that keeps coming back in that is slowly i turned 
round and round, step by step, I crept upon him. There is a great vaudeville skit. And doing that show changed my life. I was like, this is it. You know, I wanted to be an artist. I drew comics. I was a huge comic book fan, drew all the time. Uh, and that turned me on to girls. And because uh, those those little actresses are sexy. Um, and and uh, and that and the life of theater, you know, so that's what I did. I dropped out of high school. I um, got a job at a hardware store. I, I wanted to be an actor. I didn't know how to do it. My, my a neighbor worked next to something called the Maryland Academy of Dramatic Arts. And she's and it was above a liquor store and it was in Bethesda, Maryland and told my mom about it. My mom's like, you know, I'll pay for this school if you want to go. And so I did that. I dropped out of high school and studied with a guy named Ralph Tabakin, who was a vaudeville actor. Uh, he was an old guy. This is in the 80s. He was old <laughs> and um, lived for another 20 years, too. I mean, that guy, I don't know. I don't know how old that guy was, but did radio, did theater, did little bit parts in movies. If you want to see Ralph, you can see him in... Uh, Barry Levinson's films. He's the TV salesman in Diner. And in the young Sherlock Holmes, he plays a Bobby, you know, a British policeman walking down the street with his billy club and sees, sees a young Sherlock Holmes go by in some flying contraption. And he was, Ralph said that Levinson kept putting him in stuff because it was his good luck charm. I guess it started with Diner and, and he's in everyone. He's in Wag the Dog uh, in the political commercial. Ralph will show up. He's got big, bushy eyebrows and he kind of talk like that. And he's a real character. But he taught me how to act, this guy. And uh, never forget that. You know, I'll never forget old Ralph. He, he really taught me the basics, he taught me how to walk, taught me how to talk. You know, the simple stuff. Get your hair out of your eyes. You can't see your face, your forehead. You need to see the forehead. It's where all the and he go like this. It's where all the expression is. And he blinked a lot like that. It's all where all the expression is. Your forehead. Get the hair out of your face. Comb it back. So uh, old Ralph taught me the basics, and then I went out to uh, the West Coast because I wouldn't freeze to death. I didn't have any money. Lived in my car, and I knew that the West Coast was going to be warmer. You know, so I always think about that. What if I'd stayed in New York somehow and, and I was too young to get into the acting school? I wanted to go in New York to get into the adult program. You had to be 18. I wasn't 18. So I uh, went to the West Coast and, and started the uh, started from there. Did you have doubts? Like, it seems like a lot of people are scared to kind of cut that safety net, but it seems like you just went all in. Is that kind of how you would describe it? Well, it's a choice that you make, and it's one that you make every day. You can be all in one day, and the next day you're like, this is a bad idea. Uh, but I did see that, you know, I did theater. I did the same thing. I built sets on these little theaters on Santa Monica Boulevard, and, and we started our own little 50-seat theater, and, and we uh, were just always busy, always doing something, trying to get something going, auditioning, trying to get something on, didn't have an agent. But but somebody would have an audition. Everybody else would hear about it and just show up <laughs> like, hey, you want to want to read me? Uh, it was like that. And there were nights when you're laying in bed and you're going, this, what the hell am I doing? Staring at the ceiling at three in the morning 
going, maybe this is a bad idea. What else could I do? You know, what, what else would I do? Um, people my age, talented people, uh, actors and actresses, very talented. Um, if they had a side gig, like say they were managing a restaurant yeah. to make money, you know, then that's always what they ended up doing. Right. And I saw that early on and I was like, okay, no plan B can't have a plan B. And uh, that, that served because those nights, you know, and three in the morning, you're looking at the ceiling. And if you don't have a plan B, <laughs> you don't really have a choice. You're like, All right, well, I'll get up tomorrow and do it again, I guess. Have you kind of, um, so I imagine early in your career, you kind of just said yes to everything. That's kind of a young actor's story. As you got to kind of make choices later on when you did the Punisher, I think you co-wrote a comic called Bad Planet, too. When you started, I making, sure some did. These, Thank when you. started making some of these choices, like um, how did you kind of come to the conclusion to make your own comic and then lean kind of into genre a little bit more with some of your work? I do love genre. I've always loved genre. Maybe it's a blessing and a curse. You know, I always think, you know, maybe I should be doing those independent movies where everybody's everybody's fawned over about how great the writing is and how great the acting is and all that. And, and they are, you know, I, I, but I just, I um, do, I'm a sucker for a genre. I was eight years old when my dad brought me to see alien. My mom threw the Coke on a lady behind her there in the chestburster scene. And that lady didn't get up and leave. She was riveted to the screen. And that was a big formative experience for me. Uh, I got into, my dad brought the first VCR home that had a wood panel on it. And it was the size of a small suitcase. And the first cassette that he bought cost him about 90 bucks. Hmm. The first cassette was 2001, a space odyssey, right? So that was the first home theater experience we had in our little TV, but man, we were watching a movie and uh, we fell in love with the video store rental house and was there every weekend, you know, returning a stack of movies, buying a stack of movies. And that's, that was, um, my dad loved genre, loved Westerns, you know, and that kind of got me into film noir when I was a young man. And I started discovering the, the outback of film, you know, the cult movies. Mm -hmm. Um uh, that was a you know a Roger uh, no Roger uh, Waters what the hell's his name um, the, the guy who did all the Pink Flamingos and all that stuff John Waters no, John no. Waters yeah. uh, was from Baltimore and he mm -hmm. made all those movies out there you know and they made them in his backyard with Divine and uh, that was huge you know watching watching a movie that had been shot in our backyard but with a guy on a shoestring budget was also very influential. Um, then I, of course, discovered guys like John Cassavetes and independent filmmaking and the independent voice. And I've always leaned towards that. I was a punk rocker as a kid. I loved any, you know, I was not a fan of the mainstream media, still not a fan. Mm -hmm. And always loved stuff that were, you know, the bywaters and outback of music, of film, of books, you know. Fell in love with Bukowski uh, and then John Fonte, brilliant. Um, you know, this is what I've always been attracted to for whatever reason. You know, I was always kind of an outsider. I started school late. I skipped, I didn't go to kindergarten. So I wasn't acclimatized to kids and I never really got used to being around people. 
Uh, and I still don't really, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm kind of the oddball, you know, I go to parties, no one talks to me. You know, the, I got this sort of, you know, I'm, I'm an outsider. Right? It's just part of who I am. So I do love outsider art. I love outsider film. And uh, making a career in that kind of venue is, is, has its own set of challenges, you know. But I'm okay with that because that's what I love to do and finding the projects, you know, so I started a comic book company, you know, but mostly I wanted to learn how to tell a story. And I was a huge comic book fan uh, going way back. And, you know, my mom was an antique uh, hunter. So we would spend weekends at auction houses with sawdust on the floor and uh, dingy old antique shops. And my mom's always bartering with somebody over some immaculate piece of furniture that nobody wanted. And I would dig around in the boxes and find the comics and find the old uh, pulp novels. Hmm. And that's what I would bring home. And so I knew that if I could figure out how to make a comic book, I could learn something about storytelling. Mm -hmm. And I'd read that uh, Francis Ford Coppola, somebody asked him, how do you come up with these ideas for some of your shots are really unique? And he goes, comic books. I was like, all right. So I started studying comics with an eye towards cinema mm -hmm. and created Raw Studios. We, we did Bad Planet. We mm -hmm. did Alien Pig Farm 3000. I'm actually doing a new book now with Comixology called The Lichen. Mm. Um, and, uh, so I'm, I'm dipping my hand back into the comic world. Uh, never really left it. Some of my really good friends are in, in comics, but I find that they merge in, in the, they help me become a filmmaker. And that's really what I, you know, I've always kind of wanted to do. I've always had an eye toward directing. I've always had an eye toward, uh, storytelling, storytelling. You know, Harrison Ford in an interview once said, you know, say they asked him about being an actor. He goes, I'm a storyteller. I'm a storyteller first, then I'm an actor. Yeah. And that stuck with me. So I do love telling stories. Started Renegade in 2019, right before the pandemic. That's my production company, Renegade. Mm -hmm. And uh, started attracting interesting left of center genre movies. Yeah. And we've got a string of them that we're going to be doing uh, next year. Um, and that's really exciting for me. You know, they're harder to get made. Everything's hard to get made. Jesus yeah. Christ. So maybe that's not exactly true, but they're tough. They're tough. It's tough going, you know, but it's rewarding. And, you know, you don't have the budgets that other people have. You don't have some of the uh, accoutrement that comes with movie making. It doesn't matter if you're talented and you've got. And then yeah, that's the other thing. A, finding a good script. B, finding a good director. These mm -hmm. things are hard. Yeah. Um, and they're always hard, you know, and, and it's always rare when you find somebody who can really tell a story. And that's what I've been learning how to do. I directed an episode of The Expanse, mm -hmm. uh, season five. Uh, I directed the third episode of season five and really proud of it. You know, I, I proved to myself that I could do it, that I can work with the actors, that I can come up with a shot plan. I can storyboard i can work with the other creatives and the, you know the prop guys and the set designers and figure out creative ways to get stuff done it re really came alive doing that so i'll be directing uh again and um and telling more stories hmm. 
actually I spoke with one of your directors a couple of weeks ago. I spoke with Asher Levin, who did Dig and um, Slayers. You guys just worked on together. What is yeah. your relationship like? You said it's kind of hard to find directors. I'm sure you, uh, he told me a little bit about you guys are, are friends and um, have similar taste and types of films you want to make. Um, what's that kind of relationship like to do two films together? Yeah, it is a bit unusual. And we're actually doing a third. I'm going to go work with Emil Hirsch on this movie about uh, Pretty Boy Floyd. No, mm. it's not. Is it Pretty Boy? Yeah, I think it's Pretty Boy Floyd. One of these gangsters. <laughs> one of the 1930s gangster stuff. Uh, so so that's that's really fun. Uh, and I don't know why this is our third movie together, honestly. I mean, the, the, the scripts come along. I, I we, we connect, you know, me and my partner, Courtney Penn with Renegade. We read all this stuff. We connected with Dig. I got to act with my daughter, Harlow. Mm. Um, she was 18 at the time. I was like, come on, you know, you're not going to play daughters your whole life. You know, this is a this is a short window. Yeah. So let's do it. And we did. And, you know, the movie movie uh, bonded us in a way that uh, is kind of rare for, you know, teenagers and their dad, dad and working together in a professional relationship letting her go and not being her dad being her scene partner and it was really really fun mm. um and then uh, yeah, slayers was the first film that me and asher did together so that's how we met you know on this i, I liked the tone i like it gave me an opportunity to play a character that i have always loved in movies you know kind of the kurt russell character from mm. escape from new york or uh, big trouble in little china yeah. i guess that's a good reference you know kurt russell from Big Trouble in Little China is an influence on Elliot Jones, the character. And uh, I just knew that he had to have a really big beard. Like, this guy's got to have, you know, he's got to have food from last week stuck in his beard somewhere. And it's like that. And that's sort of where the character came alive um, for me. And I had a blast, you know, we, we I got to poke fun at that things <laughs> we get to talk a little bit about what's going on in the world today and that's rare and we yeah. got to do it with a sense of humor and tell a vampire flick at the same time hmm. so that was really the the attraction you know uh playing a character who got to say what the hell he was on his mind and damn the consequences and go fuck yourself you know <laughs> that kind of guy i think is needed more than ever now in this crazy strange world that's evolving after the pandemic we're getting censored we're getting canceled uh we're getting ghosted mm -hmm. in a way that i don't think people fully understand how dangerous that really is right it is a dangerous uh line that we are dancing around right now mm -hmm. and we need voices in whatever way possible, whether it's through your music or through your arts or through your filmmaking, we, we need voices of, of reason that's, that's remind us what is really valuable about the country that we have built and the reason why it has been so successful. Uh, this, this American experiment is because free speech, mm -hmm. free speech, you know? Right. Yeah. It's where I don't feel like they're going to cart me away in handcuffs if I go and speak out against what I see going on. Now, I might be wrong, but I get a, I can speak it. You might not agree with me. That's the point. Right. The point of free speech is exactly having a point of view that other people don't agree with. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not free speech because we all agree and you can say whatever you want because 
I agree with with what you're saying. That's not free speech. Yeah. <laughs> free speech is I get to say stuff that's uncomfortable for you. You know, that you might disagree with me and yell at me. And then at home, when you're laying in bed at night, you might think about it a little bit. Right. That's free speech. And that is essential to a, to a free, uh, open and successful society. Ain't no other two ways about it. And the fact that we're messing with that right now is terrifying. Yeah. It should be terrifying for everybody. And the kids don't understand because they're just, they don't know the people in their teens, people in their twenties, they don't, they haven't had a fully formed experience of being an adult in the real world long enough to know how valuable free speech is. So they're willing to let go of stuff that, that, uh, will ultimately bite us in the ass and destroy us hmm. as a country. Do you see some freedom in uh, making smaller films and, and kind of sharing a voice like that? It seems like the, you know, the bigger films are going very much in one direction. The big studio films are very much with what their message and agenda and some of that stuff. Do you see more freedom in doing smaller films? Right now, there's more freedom in doing smaller films. Now, I, I don't know if that's going to change. If things keep going the way they're going, you know, you're going to have something like the Hayes office where you submit every single script to and they decide whether it's on, on point or not on point. I mean, that's possible. It right. happens. That happens in China. That right. happens in any totalitarian or communist country. You cannot say whatever the hell you want to say. You do not have a voice. So the outsider voice is essential to a free society and being able to, uh, whether you do it through humor like we do in Slayers, uh, whether you do it through drama, uh, but you're, you're talking about things that are uncomfortable and that, that we need to talk about. That is the independent voice. The studio voice is going to be following the party line because that's where all the money is, you know? Yeah. Tom Cruise is going to have to change the labels, uh, the patches on his jacket because the Communist Party doesn't agree with what he's wearing. Now, that happened, hmm. and that happens, and it happens all the time. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Iron Man, they reshot the whole last third just for China hmm. uh, because uh, there is no free speech. And you cannot say whatever you want to say, and you cannot make a point whether or not it needs to be heard or not. That's why Alex Jones is so dangerous. I don't uh, listen to Alex Jones. I always thought he was kind of a nut. Turns out the guy was right more than he was wrong. He's wrong a lot, but he was right a lot. Hmm. And uh, whether you agree with him or not, the fact that they had a show trial and that they really disabused the judicial arm of government in order to make a point. They get, it's a hundred times, his penalty, the, what they find him was a hundred times bigger than any other civil suit of its kind. 100 times more. I mean, if that's not trying to make a point, nothing is. So the, my point is that we need the crazy voices. You know, you don't have to agree with them. You know, and by the way, the lies that they tell on mainstream media have hurt way more people than Alex Jones ever will. OK, and that and so so it's a one sided argument where I get to say what I want and you shut up. Hmm. That's not <laughs> uh, the recipe for a prosperous and free uh, country. And that is the reason why we have been so successful 
So number one, it's why it's called the first amendment. You know, mm-hmm. these guys had been through oppression and censorship and dictatorship, you know, with the, with the, the crown. And they, these guys had been through it all. That every trick in the book, these these the written through at the American colonists when they first came over. So they were very particular about what they wrote in their constitution. And everything is there for a reason. Doesn't mean things can't be modified as we mature and progress. But man, you better be real careful about what you decide to change and why. Hmm. Uh, so these things are interesting now. I'm not a politician guy, a political guy. I'm not a political guy. I don't have enough bandwidth to pay too much attention, but we need to start paying attention now. And hopefully through our art, we'll get to say, so yes, your answer to your question is independent voices are vital to art, to society, to life in general. We have, that has always been attractive to me, you know, no matter, no matter what, I mean, keeping that alive uh, uh, is essential. You know, when movies, when movie, when television came along, movies were really threatened because everybody could just sit at home and watch their little box. So movies had to innovate. They had to come up with different stuff. They came up with CinemaScope. You know, they came up with surround sound eventually. I mean, they, they, they had to innovate in order to keep drawing people in. Mm-hmm. Um, but what it was, it was the bur- but it was still only kind of one voice. Everything was funneled through the studio system. And then with guys like Cassavetes, they started showing that you could have an independent voice and it could be, it could be just as powerful or more powerful than the stuff that Coca-Cola is paying for. Right. We're about a time. We'll just do one or two more. Um, since you've been in, in so you've done so many genre pieces over the years, how do you think about being a storyteller and the fans and like kind of pleasing the fans to some degree, but also giving them something they haven't seen before? Well, that's the goal, isn't it? You know, especially for me. I mean, that's what I'm always trying to do. It's trying, it's bending the frame. You know, I do like genre. Genre has a set of rules. Each genre has its own sort of set of guidelines or rules that that make it a genre movie. So you want to serve that. You know, I'm a populist. I like um, popular uh, culture. Uh, You know, I, I like the... Uh, safety of uh, knowing that when you watch a Western, you're going to get a Western, you know, <laughs> but then you also have to mix it up at the same time. You have to, you have to ride both those waves so that they come together in a, in a unique way. And sometimes you miss the mark because it's sort of like a Western film noir. You're like, okay, maybe that didn't work so good. But other times it, they, they, they come together in a way that makes it surprising and then actually becomes part of the canon of what a genre movie is, you know, and, and the, the, the horror comedy <laughs> is one such uh, animal, you know, there was horror and then there was comedy. Nobody thought to bring them together. I don't yeah. know what the first horror comedy is. I mean, I think of Scream, but there's obviously ones before that, but that created a new genre or a new yeah. way of, of expressing uh, a genre or uh, you know, a horror movie. And that's what we did with Slayers. It, horror, but it's funny, but you have to serve both. You can't be too self-referential. You can't be winking uh, at yourself or anybody else, but, uh, but, but you do have the more freedom 
to be able to have some fun with it. And that's, that's what we did with Slayer. Hey, thanks for tuning in to the show. So many great lessons on screenwriting there. If you're looking for some more information, though, some more about the craft of writing for television, uh, we have a new course called Script Mastermind, where we have 21 of our proven experts telling you how to write for television, how to write a screenplay, how to break in, things like that. Uh, this includes shows of Gordon Levitt, Judd Apatow, also the writers of shows like Handmaid's Tale, Mosquito Coast, Hunters, Solar Opposites, Resident Alien, WandaVision, the list goes on and on. Check that out. Uh, you can get this all right now for $1 at scriptmastermind.com slash television. That is the television screenwriting masterclass. It is at scriptmastermind.com slash television. We'll see you next time with a new episode.